hit the button, it did not go. There we go. Thank you. So uh, I don't exactly have a joke for you this morning. Um, almost had one, didn't pan out, but uh, it's okay. I was kind of prepared for this anyway. Um, we're going to start with something that's almost like a joke. Uh, looking online, found this thing on uh, churchanswers.com. Um, Church Answers is brought to you by a person named Tom, Tom Rayner. And uh, so I'm, I'm giving all that information out because I did not come up with this and, you know, credit where it's due. Uh, I'm just going to summarize this a little bit. But uh, Tom says that he went on Twitter and he put out a survey. And uh, in this survey, he asked, what are some of the uh, fights or conflicts that churches have had in their congregations? And uh, people, unfortunately, have an awful lot to say on this, and they've got some very interesting stories. So he picked 25 of his uh, favorites of just bizarre things that have caused splits in churches. Number one, an argument over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. Number two, Fight over whether or not to build a children's playground or to use the land for a cemetery. Number three, a deacon accusing another deacon of sending an anonymous letter and deciding to settle the matter in the parking lot. It's a dangerous thing to try to settle it in the parking lot. It's just an inside story if you know, you know. But do not offer anybody to settle in the parking lot. Number four, a church dispute is whether or not to install restroom dividers in the women's restroom. Number five, a church argument and vote to decide if a clock in the worship center should be removed. Number six, a 45-minute heated argument over the type of filing cabinet to purchase, black or brown, or two, three, or four drawers. I can see why it would take 45 minutes with so many options. All right, number seven, a fight over which picture of Jesus to put in the foyer. And he has a note on here. I just want to know who took the pictures. <laughs> number eight, a petition to have all church staff clean-shaven. Don't do it to me, folks. Don't do it. Number nine, a dispute over whether the worship leader should have shoes on during the service. I've heard issues about people having shoes off in, in the congregation, but during the delivery of the message. I mean, it does say take your sandals off. It's holy ground. I'm wearing shoes, though, so it's a little bit of a mixed message I'm sending here. Um, a big, number 10, a big church argument over the discovery that the church budget was off by 10 cents. Someone finally gave a dime to settle the issue. <laughs> Number 11, a dispute in the church because the Lord's Supper had crayons slash grape juice instead of just grape juice. Number 12, business meeting arguments about whether the church should purchase a weed eater or not. It took two business meetings to resolve. Number 13, arguments over what type of green beans the church should serve. Number 14, two different churches reported fights over the type of coffee. In one of the churches, they moved from Folgers to a stronger Starbucks brand. In the other church, they simply moved to a stronger blend. Members left the church in the latter example. Number 15, major conflict when the youth borrowed a crock pot that had not been used for years. Number 16, an argument on whether the church would allow deviled eggs at the church meal. Again, kind of a mixed signal there. I'm for them. I vote for them. Don't judge me. Only God can judge me. <laughs> That's not true, by the way. Everybody can judge, and they're pretty good at it. Um, so anyway, all right, we got deviled eggs. Number 17, an argument over who has the authority to buy postage stamps for the church. 
Number 18, a disagreement over using the term potluck instead of pot blessing. We don't have luck around here. It's all blessing. 19, a church member was chastised because she brought vanilla syrup for the coffee server, and it looked too much like liquor. Number 20, an argument in church over who has access to the copy machine. Number 21, some church members left the church because one church member hid the vacuum cleaner from them. It resulted in a major fight and a split. I mean, it's deceptive to hide that thing. But then again, why would you ever say no to somebody vacuuming? If anybody wants to sneak around with a vacuum cleaner around here, feel free. We ain't ain't stopping you. Although it makes it less fun if we're not going to try. So we're definitely going to try to stop you. Don't you do it. Don't anybody do it. Um, 22, an argument over whether to have gluten-free communion bread or not. 23, uh, a dispute over whether the church should allow people to wear black T-shirts since black is the color of the devil. Sorry to anybody out here that might be wearing black t I wear black T-shirts all the time. Yeah, Randy in the back there. Devil shirt. Uh, 24, a fight over whether or not to sing happy birthday each week. I don't know why you would sing happy birthday each week. I'm missing something there. 25, an argument over whether the fake dusty plants should be removed from the podium. Don't, don't complain about the plants. They've, they've been there a long time. They're part of us now. All right. So anyway, 25 weird reasons that people have had splits in the church. When talking to other people about theology, you're talking about the contents of the Bible. There are certain things that we must agree upon. There are certain things that if you don't believe it, it means you can't be a Christian because Jesus has said, these are the things that make you a Christian. And if we disagree on those things, well, there's a problem. But that's a really big book. And the amount of contents that are absolutely essential to you being a Christian, pretty thin. A lot of what you have that you can read about in the Bible are things about theology that uh, you can have a broad array of opinions. You can have uh, different interpretations. And in fact, you personally can read the same verse once one time and read one thing out of it and read it five years later and get something different out of it. That's what makes it the living word is because it's not always the same. Even for you, you'll get something new out of it every time you read it. A lot of these things are not essential to your salvation. Some people believe once saved, always saved. Some people believe you can be saved and then fall away. Some people believe in uh, pre-tribulation rapture. Some people mid-trib, some post-trib. Um, some people might be confused was Jezebel named Jezebel because she was a Jezebel? Or Jezebel is called Jezebel because Jezebel's name was Jezebel? Personally, I think Jezebel was just named Jezebel. You will not 100% agree with anyone because there are some of you that would disagree with me on something, all of you at some point, and that's okay. You can be wrong. That's fine. <laughs> but everybody's going to have a disagreement at some point. For you to form your opinion, though, some of them are going to be wrong. How do you know? How do you know what's the correct thing to believe? Well, as I've said in many of my sermons, you've got to go to the manual. You've been given the manual so that you can know right from wrong. And you may still have disagreements because of that interpretation, but you don't know if you don't look. So, get those Bibles ready. 
and uh, that's how you're going to start forming your opinions. I was uh, talking with a friend this week, which inspired a lot of this, this uh, sermon, and if you're watching, don't feel bad. You know, I'm, I'm kind of picking on you, but it's not you personally, because there's, there's a lot of things that people think they know, but don't actually know. And I appreciated the conversation, but uh, I'm going to just pull a little bit from that conversation to tell you about. When talking with this friend, um, he, he would tell you he's a Christian, and, and I'm not saying he's not. Um, but there were certain things that we talked about that I was a little surprised to hear. Um, but not too surprised, because I've heard them before. Um, one thing, he said that he thought it was odd that Satan would turn against God, Lucifer the angel turns against God, and then would be rewarded by giving like a position of like royalty in hell. He thought that Satan was basically going to be like a king of hell, and he, he was going to enjoy torturing everybody for eternity. That's not the way it works. That's not true. And when hearing this, it occurs to me, uh, the, the way we get this image, because he's not the first person I've ever heard say such a thing, um, and lots of people probably believe that. But why do we believe that? Is it because they've gone through the Bible and read it, and it said that Satan will be the ruler in hell? No. It says he's the prince of this earth. Satan is among us right now, trying to steal, kill, and destroy right now. And um, God protects you from a lot of things. But basically, Satan has this time. He can do what he wants to do. But as far as when he goes to hell, let's see what the Bible does say about that. In Matthew 13, verses 49 through 50, this is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, so hell, it's a place with weeping and gnashing of teeth. We're not really denying that in this particular case, but there are people out there that would tell you, one, hell isn't real, or two, hell is not going to be that bad. You know, lots of people with like bumper stickers about like, you know, the party in hell is going to be lit, something like that. You know, it's, it's not a party. You're not going to have fun. And I know you're thinking, oh, no rules. That means we can do whatever we want. Okay, imagine what happens to you when demons do whatever they want to you. What's their form of fun? It ain't going to be sitting around with you smoking weed. And there's probably not going to be weed in hell either. So there's another thing to be sad about. But it's not going to be a party. And uh, not only is it not going to be a party for you if you go to hell, it's also not a party for the angels. We'll look in uh, Matthew 25, verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Okay? So now we can see it was prepared for the devil and his angels. It wasn't even actually for the humans. It was for the devil and his angels. And then it kind of got a dual purpose when people were pulled away from God as well. But, you know, you might still read that and think, okay, well, it was prepared for the devil and his angels. Maybe it's prepared for them to have fun torturing people. Well, let's take a look at Revelation 20.10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Okay, well, that pretty much just foils that idea. Hell is a place of eternal torment for the demons who fell away from God just the same as it is for the people who fall away. 
and there's really no two ways about that. It's not going to be a good time for anybody. But he had this idea that it was, and it wasn't from the Bible, so where did he get it? Well, he got it from television, movies, um, not as much reading going on these days, but books. There's a story called Paradise Lost by uh, was, uh, Milton, John Milton, for some reason I blanked on the name there. John Milton wrote this book. It was a poem a long, long time ago. And uh, it, it's an interesting story, but it's a story. It's not absolute fact. And it's based on a lot of true things, but we get a lot of strange ideas from stories, and we don't even know that they're stories. In our Bible, um, for the Protestants who are listening, I'm going to guess that's 100% of my listeners at this point, but if you look in your Bible, uh, any version of a Protestant Bible, how many angels are named in that Bible? How many angels do you get by name? A lot of people would probably guess way more than the actual number because there's a lot of talk about angels and angel-specific names. And the reason we get a lot of specific names is because we get a lot of stuff that is given to us in a way that appears to be biblical, but it's actually a story. Um, in Paradise Lost, there's a lot more angels mentioned by name, um, demons mostly, but uh, we've got, in, in our Protestant Bible, Gabriel and Michael. Those are the two angels that are mentioned by name. Now, a lot of people might be able to give you names of more angels, but that's because they've gotten it from the Apocrypha. The Catholics have more books to their Bible. Um, there's a book uh, of Tobit in the uh, Catholic Bible, and in that it names an angel Raphael. Now, is there an angel named Raphael? I don't know. I guess we'll find out one day. But uh, if you're a Catholic, you probably believe there is. For us, our Bible says Michael and Gabriel. Now, there are more angels than that. There's a lot more angels than that. But those are the ones we get by name. You don't know that if you don't study your Bible, though. You might go thinking something that's completely untrue, like hell's going to be a party. If you're relying on things that you've been told, things that you've seen on TV. You know, I, for me, there's things i got to look up because I think I know them, and then it turns out, oh, man, I, don't, I must not have got that from the Bible. Somebody must have told me that at some point, and I just accepted it as true. These things happen. But you got to study to know. So get out that manual, make sure you're doing some reading. Now, the idea that uh, there are certain angels that are named out specifically that aren't necessarily in our Bible, I mean, is that worth splitting a church over? Is that a thing that somebody could come up with this opinion? And I was like, well, depart from me. You can't be in the same place. I don't believe like you do. No, certainly not. You can have some pretty strange beliefs, and it's not worth us separating from each other over it. That, unfortunately, is the source of a lot of problems with the church today. We don't have enough people that are dedicated to God's mission for them. We don't have pe their people are too dedicated to themselves and not dedicated enough to the creator, the person who gave them purpose, the, the reason you exist at all, gave you a mission and we're too worried about getting a high-paying job or getting nice clothes or finding a boyfriend or a girlfriend or any of that stuff. 
we're too focused on that. So we totally lack dedication in the contemporary modern American church. But of those that are even here, we split over how strong the coffee is. We split over whether there's a clock in the worship center. We, we split over whether the lines in the parking lot are straight or tilted, or if they're white or yellow. Satan is laughing his head off every time we hear somebody with a disagreement and we say, it's ridiculous you believe that. We're, we're not friends anymore. We can't be together. Now, you, you can't be in the church believing what you believe. There are a lot of things that Satan will plant in there so that you and your lack of forgiveness will further his mission in making sure you, the other person, and anybody watching can get sent to hell. So, he said that. I explained to him my side of it and why I believed what I believed. That's fine. I, if he walks away not believing what I believe, there's no problem with that. It's fine. You know, maybe, like I said, you guys, if you have a different opinion than me, it's okay for you to be wrong. It's fine. He might come around eventually. Going further in the conversation, the next thing that uh, he pointed out that um, I thought was interesting was he, he believed that there were certain people that were irredeemable. There was a certain amount of sin that was too much sin. And I kind of brought this on because I brought up a conversation I had with my brother once, and it's a conversation I fondly remember because I had him screaming. He was so mad, <laughs> and it, it gave me so much joy. And I probably shouldn't be that way, but I am. So uh, <laughs> we're in the car, me and my brother, and uh, the rest of the family who had a very awkward ride. And uh, I, I said, I don't even know how the conversation came up, but I said, you know, Hitler could be in heaven. And Mark, oh, I gave his name, that brother. Mark said, no, he's not. He could be. No, he isn't. There's no way Hitler is in heaven. I mean, he could be, though. No. I'm like, well, okay. So, let's say Hitler's in the bunker, and the Allies are moving in, and it's his last moments, and as history knows it today, he committed suicide, and they ended up just finding his body. That's what they say. I don't know if that's what happened, but that's what they say happened. Let's say instead of that, that's a story you've been told, there was a priest that was in the bunker, and in his final moments, this priest came to Hitler and said, it doesn't look like you have much time. You better really be thinking about your relationship with God. And Hitler said, what do you mean? And this priest explained to him, well, you need Jesus as your Savior in order to have life after death. For you to continue on, you're going to have to accept Jesus. You're going to have to accept that you're a sinner, that you've sinned, and that you need Jesus to redeem you for those sins. And Hitler, being inspired by God, just has that light bulb pop on. And he says, I've been so wrong. You're right. This is, I've been terrible. I shouldn't have done the things I've done. Jesus, please forgive me. And Jesus forgives him because he asked for forgiveness. And, uh, you know, then an allied soldier comes in and sees him and shoots him on sight. And then because they didn't want to be in trouble for shooting a non-combatant, they just said, oh, he committed suicide. Okay? So that's how you end up with a dead Hitler. But he received atonement through Jesus Christ in that story. And uh, my brother still was just going on. He was, he was not accepting it. And uh, 
it, it made me think of uh, this conversation I was having with this friend, and uh, I asked him, so how much sin is too much sin? And uh, he's like, I don't know. I just, there's certain people, you just, I mean, the idea that Hitler could go to heaven, like, okay, so you're better. Yeah, I'm better. Okay, I understand you didn't kill a bunch of people, but you understand, once you sinned, you cannot be before God. Sin cannot be before God. You're going to hell just as much as Hitler for killing a bunch of people. If you're apart from God, it's not like a degree of like, I'm slightly closer to God. No, you're apart. That's what hell is. Let me see if I got this in the right order here. I got a little ahead of myself. We'll look in Isaiah 53, 1 through 6. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and he, we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. I like this. Uh, particular Isaiah is pretty great man and the book but in this one Isaiah was written between 740 BC and 686 BC that's roughly 700 years before Christ and if you read this it sounds like it would have had to have been written in the New Testament Jesus would have had to have already come and gone as you're reading this because it just described it to a T and I mean that could you could say that's like cold reading, you know, if you got these people who say they're psychics and they just say stuff like, don't worry about the money, like everybody's worried about the money. So they're just assuming you're going to be just like 95% of the population. That is oddly specific. And I just, I think that's pretty great. And that happens several times throughout the Old Testament where you're reading and like, there's no way they're talking about anybody but Jesus. But it was 700 years before Jesus was born. These were prophets. They knew it was coming. They were shown. I, I think that's cool. Not really anything to do with the sermon, but just a little tidbit. It says he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. He was pierced for our transgressions and our iniquities? I mean, I've done bad things, I guess. You know, kind of bad. No Hitler. You suppose they're talking about, like, crushed for our iniquities being, like, your average person that I, I try to live my best life, you know? Um, that was a phrase that uh, I've heard more than once. Like, I just feel like people are going to be able to be forgiven by God and go to heaven if they just do their best to be a good person. Let's look in Romans 10.10. 10. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. All right, well, there goes that idea. The idea that some of us are just trying our best. Unfortunately, our best is worthy of hell. You, on a good day, trying to do the best you can is going to end up hurting somebody. There is somebody that's going to be upset at you. There is nothing you can do about that. And in fact, somebody eventually is going to be mad at you, and they're going to be completely justified in being mad at you. You're going to do something bad. You will. And when you commit sin, you're as bad as any other. 
It's not like in prison where you get these people who have uh, offenses against children. I won't get too graphic in that description, but children involved. And they go to prison, and there are other inmates that will try to beat up or kill the person who has an offense against a child. And I'm not saying justify people of offense against children. I can't stand offenses against children. There's a lot of things. I've seen a lot of things, and I don't really get bothered too easily by most things. But when it's involving a kid, I have a hard time with it. But anyway, if these other inmates are in here, like, look at this bad guy. Oh, look at the terrible things he's done. Dude, you're in prison. <laughs> what do you think you're here for, being a good guy? you got a sin, too. You're just looking at other people like, well, your sin's bad, but my sin's not bad. No, they're all bad. You're all bad. But uh, we justify our own sins in that way. Everybody's like that. Like, well, you know, at least I'm not that bad. You're, you're sentenced to hell. You're going to hell. I don't care which one of you it is, child offender or not, going to hell. Unless, unless, we do have a way of intervention here. <clears throat> anyway, none is righteous, no, not one. Let's look at Romans 3, and we'll look at verses 22 through 26. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So it's not me making that up. That's in the Bible. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus, actually. We are redeemed by the grace of Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Okay. Well, there's our answer. You going to hell just as much as Hitler's going to hell. Unless you or Hitler received the redemption that came by the blood of Christ Jesus through his grace by your faith. Jesus was sacrificed to pay for your sins and your sins and your sins and everybody else's sins and Hitler's sins. Jesus died to cover them all. All you have to do is accept that sacrifice. All you have to do is say, I recognize I'm a sinner. I recognize what Jesus did for me. And I accept that sacrifice to cover my sins. That's it. You're saved. That's all it takes. Now, there's a lot of things after that that should change once you've accepted Jesus as your Savior. Because once you've received the salvation of Jesus, you should understand Jesus gave his very life. God gave his son in order to save your soul. He also told you a lot of other things you should be doing because he loves you. He cares about you. And he knows an awful lot. God's a real smart fella. And when he tells you something, it's because it is for your good. To not listen to it is only hurting yourself. That doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to hell. But without faith in the atonement through Jesus Christ, yes, you are. I'll, I'll point out that um, I'm... I'm imagining if I was to talk to my brother today and talk about this conversation 
he would probably say, what? I didn't say that. I didn't know. And I'm going to guess it's probably because I got him so angry he wasn't really thinking about what he was just saying. He was just yelling, no! <laughs> I'm still laughing about it. <laughs> but uh, it, what really made him angry is I started just saying, okay, there's no way Hitler's in hell. Okay. You don't actually believe that? Okay. <laughs> Sorry, all right, that's enough of my unenjoyment here. We'll move on. To say that the sacrifice of Jesus doesn't cover the sins of somebody because they have too many is kind of blasphemous. Jesus lived a perfect life. He was the son of God, and he died on the cross for your sins. So for you or anybody else to say that somebody was too evil to be forgiven, what you're saying is, yeah, Jesus was perfect, and he was the ultimate sacrifice to cover the sins of the world, but not enough for that guy. Jesus just wasn't enough for that guy over there. You're minimizing the power, the authority, the value of Jesus Christ himself when you say there's somebody that can't be redeemed. They all can. Don't sell Jesus short. And just imagine that testimony. I mean, you see like uh, people who were former gang members or gang leaders who turned their lives over to Christ. Like, oh man, you, you don't get too many... Testimonies that are stronger than that. I mean, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer, uh, the, the cannibal serial killer. I don't, I can't, like, judge his heart. I wasn't there. I haven't talked to the guy. But stories I've heard is he gave his life to Christ while he was in, in prison. I don't know what that looked like for him, but the idea that somebody like that could give their life to Christ and turn it around and start giving other people the good news even though they had been through all that, your sinful life, once you turn it over to Jesus, it's not a weakness, it's a strength. The more you've got loaded up on you, the better it's going to be once you get that redemption. Those who seek God's forgiveness will find it because Jesus made that possible. In Luke 23, verses 41 through 43, we are punished justly for we are getting the deeds we deserve. Oh, okay, I'll, I'll set this up for you. This is, Jesus is being crucified. He was brought about by uh, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, to be executed for things that he didn't do wrong because they were jealous and angry and hated him. At the same time, they were executing two thieves. Well, I mean, I, I assume at least one of them was a thief. I've always heard thieves. Maybe I heard that on TV. I might not. Die. They were getting executed. They were there. And... Um, one of them says, well, if you're the son of God, save yourself and save us. And uh, the guy that's on Jesus' other side says, you don't understand who you're talking to. Save yourself and save us. We're up here for a reason. He didn't do anything. You and I are up here because we deserve to be executed. And then he says to Jesus, please accept me. And Jesus tells him, I assure you on this day you'll be with me in paradise. So, you got one person who's unrepentant and just wants to be freed from what they've got going on, but it's for their own, they don't really care who Jesus is, they just want to be off that cross, which is understandable. Then you've got the person who's being executed on the other side who recognizes who Jesus is and asks for Jesus' forgiveness right there as he's being executed. 
and Jesus grants it to him. And it's not because one of the guys had less sin than the other. And it's certainly not because they had no sin at all, because even that guy who was being executed said, we're up here for a reason. We did the things that they accuse us of, and that's why we're being killed. And the fact that you want to get out of that, I mean, you don't deserve it any more than anybody else deserves it. We're both up here for a reason. He doesn't deny that, but he says, Jesus, forgive me. And uh, Jesus forgives him. Why? Because he asked. And man, just imagine that assurance. You're, you're dying. You're in the process of dying. And Jesus himself says, together we're going to be in par- paradise today. <laughs> Woo, what a relief. <laughs> man, that's, I mean, not a good day because you're dying, but also a good day because you know where you're going. And that can be true for anybody. You can always know where you're going. Just make sure you're paying attention and doing what it takes to get there. Um, <clears throat> the, the idea that um, some people are beyond salvation, again, it's not going to necessarily take you away from your salvation if you have an incorrect belief, but it does kind of suggest another problem if your belief is that some people are beyond saving and that it's, it, it's possible that you're not concerned about whether or not God can forgive somebody. You're not worried whether God's going to forgive Hitler. You're saying he's beyond salvation because you can't forgive him. It may not be Hitler. A lot of us are carrying around a hatred for somebody who has done something to us. We cannot forgive them. To put that down would be letting them off too easy. How are they going to get their punishment if you don't hold them to it by never forgiving them. I've said this in a, another sermon before. I talked about forgiveness. And how much by holding your hatred and not forgiving do you think you're really hurting that person? How much do you think that uh, whoever you have a hatred for is sitting around like, man, my day is ruined because that person hates me? They don't care. The person that you are not forgiving they might get a mild annoyance at best. If they did something so terrible to you that you can't forgive them, they don't care about your feelings. Who are you hurting by holding on to this unforgiveness? It ain't them. You're sitting here dwelling on it. It's making you angry. It's eating you up. It's keeping you from having the relationship with Jesus that you should have. Your unforgiveness ain't punishing them. It's punishing you. You're the one that suffers the consequences for that. If there's somebody that you're saying, they're beyond God's grace, and by that I mean they're beyond my grace, they ain't hurting. You are. There's a Bible verse, Matthew 6, 14 through 16, that uh, it's going to be important if you're somebody who holds on to unforgiveness. You're somebody who can't forgive that person because what they did was too bad. We already know Jesus has. There is no too bad. Jesus is great enough for that. But if you're holding on to it, you should see this. Matthew 6, 14 through 16. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. There was a story. Uh, I'm not going to go read through the whole thing, but um, I'll give you the summary. A lot of you probably know it. It's, it's 
Matthew 18, 21 through 35, if you wanted to look it up later. Matthew 18, 21 through 35. And it's a story. Uh, Peter first comes to Jesus and said, how often should I forgive my brother? Seven times? And Jesus says, you should forgive him seven times. Seventy-seven. And the point of that is to say, like, you're going to lose count. Just forgive him. Don't worry about the number. There is no number at which you don't forgive anymore. And in that same way, there is no number of times that you can sin before Jesus' sacrifice wasn't great enough. But this is what Jesus tells Peter. Seven times 77. And um, he then tells a parable. Um, The unforgiving servant is the name of the the parable. Unforgiving servant. There is a servant who owed 10,000, we'll say dollars, it was denarii, but actually if you're looking for an exact conversion, it's like something crazy, like $10 billion. And um, he, he says to his master, I do not have enough to pay you. Please forgive me my debt. And they're saying you, for your debt could be whipped, you could be stoned, you could be imprisoned. There's any number of horrible things that can happen to you because you owe this debt and can't pay it. But he goes to this master who he owes this money to and says, please forgive me. And the master says, I forgive you your debt. He just didn't hold him to it. He owed a lot of money. But this master was doing fine and had forgiveness and let him go. Later, this same servant who had just been forgiven all this money goes to another person who owes him money. And for him, it was more like, you know, $10,000, something like that. And um, he goes to this person, and the person who owes him says, I can't pay you. Please forgive my debt. And instead of saying, I forgive your debt, the same person who had just been forgiven their debt grabs this other person by the throat and says, pay me what you owe me, or I'll have you thrown in prison. Well, word from witnesses gets back to the original master who had been owed all the money to begin with. And he calls this person in and says, I understand you didn't forgive this person who owed you this little bit of money. I gave you freedom from a huge amount of money and still you can't find forgiveness for somebody who owed a little. You're going to prison now. That forgiveness is gone. You can't forgive, I won't forgive you. Well, that's a perfect analogy of what we're talking about here today. Somebody has wronged you. They owe you a little. And you can't give them forgiveness for the little that they owe you. Meanwhile, you've been forgiven a huge amount. You expect this huge amount of forgiveness when you can't forgive a little? Jesus tells us it ain't going to happen. If you can't forgive that little, you won't be forgiven your lot. So if you are holding on to something, if you are holding on to a hatred for somebody, somebody's done something wrong and you're still sitting here thinking about how you're going to get them back, quit. Quit that. You're not doing anything against them. You're hurting yourself. You're keeping yourself from heaven. You're keeping yourself from the role that Jesus built you for. You're missing out on your purpose in life and your purpose after life. Don't let it happen. Meanwhile, we've got churches that are separating for all these ridiculous things. And Satan gets a good laugh out of that. 
we're not even having splits over the things like what do you need to be saved, which is pretty much the thing that you could split over. If somebody comes in here and says, Jesus doesn't save you, that might be worth the talking to. Why are you even here? I'm not going to kick you out. You should still be here to hear the word. I want you to hear it. But if there's anything that's going to split a church, it's when your leadership says you need more to be saved than the redemption through Jesus Christ. I'm probably not going to listen to a lot of the rest of the stuff that you've got to say. I might listen just so I can figure out what not to believe. But Other than that, we're splitting over ridiculous little things. And not only are we splitting up churches, you're, you're, you're causing others to fall away from God. You're yourself falling away from God. You're destroying the role that the church has in spreading the word to, to those who don't know him out there. This, this wedge that's been driven in here is a wedge of unforgiveness. By your unforgiveness, not only is Satan getting you sent to hell, he's getting others sent to hell, and he is getting the church minimized and destroyed. Your, forgiveness, your unforgiveness is, it's up to you. God gave you the ability to make your decisions. You're not a little robot out there that's been forced to do what God wants. And I think most of us would be grateful for that. If you ask somebody, would you like the ability to choose what you do, whether it's right or wrong? I think most people are happy to have that option to choose their way. And God gave you that. The problem is, when you have the choice, you can choose wrong. And then you've got nobody to blame but yourself. You have the choice to not forgive, but it, be, it comes at the price of eternal damnation. So, understand it. Know what you have on the line. I think if you think it's worth it not to forgive at the cost of eternal damnation, you probably don't understand what eternal damnation actually is. And you should probably read the Bible and not get your ideas from television because uh, I assure you, Satan is using television to steer you in a bad direction. You're not going to watch very much television before Satan has planted something there for you to stumble over. You need to put down your unforgiveness. And if you do, God has also put his down. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you for giving us the opportunity to have gathered here together in your name today. And I ask that you would take this message and put it in each of our hearts and, and help us to hold on to it and, and realize it in a way that grows us closer to you and help us to, to use it as we speak to those out there in our community and, and even in our own lives, the actions that we take. Lord, help us to be better through it and not better through some idea of what people think is better, but better in your eyes. Help us to be closer to your will, God. If there's any here that don't know Jesus, uh, I ask that you would give them a conviction and, and be with them right now. Pull them, urge them to the direction that, that they need to go, Lord, that, uh, that they could know Jesus and have their salvation and be free from those sins, no matter how many there are. We thank you that you have the, the glory, the power, the authority to cover all of them. You are that great. 
Lord, thank you for the hope that you give us because it's never too late. Thank you for the grace because we don't deserve it. Thank you for the love. You didn't have to show it. Lord, we thank you for being who you are. We praise your name. If there's any that have needs here today, pull them forward and uh, have them at this altar that we can all pray. Lord, lower the, the guards that people may have. Satan is going to try to pull them back and make sure that they don't come forward, they don't confess to their brothers, they don't seek prayer from, from their brothers here in the church or sisters. But I ask that you would take that and cast it out, Lord. Get people where they need to be today and don't let them hold back. Lord, we thank you for hearing these prayers. In Jesus' name, amen.